Dr. Jennifer Cather is the Medical Director at Modern Dermatology and Modern Research Associates in Dallas, Texas. She also serves as the co-director of the cutaneous lymphoma and of the Graft versus Host Clinics at Baylor University Medical Center. She is licensed to practice in both Texas and California and is certified by the American Board of Dermatology. She has been an investigator in more than 100 clinical research trials in the area of psoriasis and cutaneous T-cell lymphoma and has authored or co-authored numerous abstracts and manuscripts. In addition, she lectures on investigational therapies in psoriasis, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, and melanoma, and frequently serves as a consultant within these disciplines. So please help me welcome Dr. Cather. I am going to break my neck up here, so I'm not going to stay up here very long. Um, I did want to just uh, thank everybody for coming. Um, some of the best people I've worked with have been physician extenders, including Christine. We worked with each other for a while. And um, I want to thank you for having the interest in actually staying here and learning about psoriasis, because it might not be the sexiest disease, but I promise you, if you help people with psoriasis, you will be busy for life, because it is such a miserable disease. So anyway, um, a little bit about me. So um, I am in private practice with an academic affiliation, like Christine said. Um, and my partner in crime is actually Melody Young, and we also have a PA named Brooke who's here. So, um, and she's going to heckle me from the back. And as anybody would tell you, Coke Zero is my heroine, and this is my fourth one, okay? So this is my worst habit, all right? I think that um, that should be illegal, and I don't know how to get off it. And my husband's a shrink and an addiction specialist, so... He's on it too. Okay, and then, um, so this is going to be like an on-label talk, and there is a 20 up here for the most obnoxious person when we go over the cases, okay? So I want you to think about it, okay? At the end, two cases, if you speak up and are really obnoxious, 20 is yours. That'll buy you a cup of orange juice here, right? So right there, okay, right there. So I'm actually going to come down now, okay, so that I can actually move around and point to some stuff. I'm actually going to point over here because I'm, I don't know why, but that's the only thing I can do. Okay, so this is a promotional educational activity. The slides you're going to see have been provided by Centicor. It's called a closed deck. It's all on label. Um, and um, I've been paid to come up here and present to you. Um, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I have a lot of respect for you guys. Um, I've got two kids at home, one of which is eight months old. And um, for me to come up here, it means I love you. So... Um, Okay, so you got to fill out the program evaluation. If you don't get the 20, that's not a reason to ding me, okay? So make sure you fill out the program evaluation um, so that we can learn and maybe improve this. Um, and so these are our learning objectives here. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, plaque psoriasis, moderate severe plaque psoriasis. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about clinical scenarios and what would you do. And I'm going to try to talk as fast as I can um, so have some question and answer. And am I doing anything to make that go on and off? Or is that just how it's going to go? Okay. All right. Well, if anybody has suggestions. Okay. So, you know, psoriasis, I did not see one person um, with significant psoriasis in my residency. And then I actually worked with Dr. Mentor. I did all like lymphoma and graft versus host. And I was like, what is this psoriasis stuff? And I'm, I'm an eczema person, by the way. I've got like rip-roaring eczema. But um, and I really learned a lot from him. And and I, and I think that is by far the most dynamic and interesting disease I've ever seen in my whole life. So anyway, it's 
two and three percent of the U.S. population has psoriasis, and it affects about 4.5 to 7.5 million Americans. So in a quarter of those have moderate to severe disease. So this just gives you an idea of what it looks like. Has everybody um, treated psoriasis? Uh, I mean, I don't know where you guys are. We're, we're seeing shaking of heads. Okay, good. Um, so psoriasis is um, really beautiful if you don't have it. It, it has geometric patterns. It can be ring-like. Um, it can have pustules. It can be red and scaly all over. I don't want it. Um, but it is... Nine percent of patients report lesions on their palms, soles, or both. And remember that with our criteria for moderate to severe psoriasis, you'd think that, well, gosh, they must have to have a lot of that. What if they only have their palms and soles and they can't walk or shake hands, right? So Dallas, we do oil deals, right? That's what everybody thinks, right? They can't shake hands. They can't do any business because of their hands, because people re will recoil, okay, if, if somebody with psoriasis walks in. So remember that. So when you see somebody, severity of psoriasis has nothing to do with how many palms worth of disease they have. And remember, if people say they have, you know, 10% body surface area, that's 10 of their palms, it really is more important to ask, how does this affect you? What can't you do? You know, how are you not contributing um, to society? And how, is, how are you being isolated by your disease? So, um, and by far, the only disability letters I've ever written and gotten approved for psoriasis are palmal plantar involvement. And those people have 2 or 3% um, uh, body surface area. Okay, lots of different therapies, which we're not going to really like dwell on. Topicals, topicals in my clinic, it's for less than 5% body surface area, okay? So if they've got more than 5% uh, body surface area, in my mind, there's no way they can put up with twice-a-day applications, okay? You're going to worry about um, how much time are they doing it. Well, if they've got 10% body surface area, they're spending at least 30 minutes um, putting on creams twice a day, and that's a lot of time. Traditional systemic therapies um, are listed here. Remember that all traditional systemic um, therapies have some end organ toxicity associated with them. And so um, the safest traditional medicine is acetretin by far. And the, the claim to fame for acetretin is slow and incomplete clearing. Methotrexate affects fertility on the females and on the males. So remember that um, if you have men on methotrexate, they're supposed to be doing due diligence as far as um, birth control pre prevention. Cyclosporin has a year-long limit in the United States, and that's supposed to be one year of therapy total. Now, I've had people on it for longer for other disease indications, but for psoriasis, it's a year. And really, you know, the co-pays for light in Dallas, they're up at 35 or 45 or $50, and they're going to have to pay their copay every time they come in for light. Puva, you have to get oxoril and compounded at a pharmacy right now, so it probably shouldn't even be on the slide. And then we've got biologics. And so if you look at um, how are people being treated, not a lot has changed in the last five years. Um, and this is kind of some old, old data here, 2003 to 2005. The vast majority of people with moderate or severe psoriasis um, are going to be treated with topicals only, which is kind of a crime if you think about it. So, um, and I, I uh, will tell you at least three people a week come into our clinic clutching their tube of medicine um, and just looking for help. And, and I know that it's true with Christine, too, because you see a bunch of systemic people that they need systemic therapy, but they've never been offered systemic therapy. So I'm hoping that at the end of all this, all I want you to take away is that there are therapies available, and if you don't want to write them or if your doctor doesn't want to write them, 
find out who's going to write them, okay? Because you're going to change a life. And that's the most important thing of all this thing. So I can go home now. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Okay, so we're going to talk about Stelera. Stelera is a human monoclonal antibody, and it binds to the P450 subunit, and that's found on two different interleukins, interleukin 12 and interleukin 23. Um, so in the very beginning, when, when they were investigating this molecule, they actually thought that IL-12 was more the most important thing. It ends up that IL-23 is very important, probably even more important um, than other things um, on the market now. So I'm going to show you a mechanism of action video that Bruce Strober narrates, and I'm going to have a drink of my Coke Zero while you listen. Okay. Psoriasis is a chronic inflammatory skin disease. The development of this disease is now believed to result from the activity of T cells and their secreted products which leads to excessive keratinocyte production, new blood vessel growth, and dilatation of existing blood vessels. In psoriasis, the T cells involved are affected by cytokines, small soluble proteins that act as messengers between cells, inducing responses by binding to specific receptors. Studies suggest that abnormal regulation of two cytokines in particular interleukins 12 and 23 may play a key role in psoriatic inflammation. Both IL-12 and IL-23 are immunoregulatory cytokines secreted by dendritic cells that help coordinate a cascade of reactions leading to an immune response. IL-12 and IL-23 share a common subunit, P40. IL-12 binds to two chain receptor complexes that are expressed on the surface of T cells and natural killer or NK cells. Upon binding to its receptor, IL-12 promotes NK cell activation and drives CD4 positive T cells towards a T helper 1 or TH1 phenotype. TH1 and NK cells secrete a characteristic set of pro-inflammatory cytokines, most notably interferon gamma. Interferon gamma has long been thought to contribute to psoriasis pathology. IL-23 also binds to a two-chain receptor complex on the T-cell surface. IL-23 stimulates the activation of T-cells towards a Th17 phenotype. Th17 cells express a characteristic set of cytokines, including IL-17, and are increasingly appreciated as contributors to the hyperproliferation of abnormal skin cells characteristic of psoriasis. Because the P40 subunit is shared between IL-12 and IL-23, P40 has been called a master switch and provides a novel therapeutic target in plaque-type psoriasis. Ustekinumab is a fully human monoclonal antibody that binds with high affinity to the P40 subunit found on both IL-12 and IL-23. When ustekinumab binds to IL-12 or IL-23, these interleukins are blocked from receptor interactions that would lead to activation of T cells or NK cells and subsequent events that contribute to psoriatic plaque formation. Through this mechanism of action, ustekinumab is thought to interrupt biologic events that are central to psoriasis pathology.
awesome, right? Bruce Strober. Can't do it better than Bruce Strober. Must see him lecture at some point. Okay, so we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about Stelera. Okay, so it's indicated for the treatment of patients 18 years and up with plaque psoriasis who are candidates for systemic therapy or phototherapy. Um, and this is moderate to severe disease. So remember that um, in this indication statement, we don't have treatment failure re um, requirements. So um, that's going to be an insurance dictated thing. Um, very important thing about the dosing with this drug, you have flexibility based on a patient's weight. So if you think about a lot of the things on the market, we don't have a lot of flexibility for different body weights. And this drug you do. So if a patient weighs less than 100 kilograms or less than 220 pounds, you use 45 milligrams. If they weigh greater than 100 kilograms, you use 90 milligrams. And the dosing, you have your induction at week zero and four, and then every 12 weeks they're dosed, okay? So, um, and then uh, note that the safety and efficacy of Stelera has not been evaluated beyond two years. And this is from the P P PI. Um, Okay, so we are going to spend the rest of our time um, on the Phoenix 1 and Phoenix 2 trials. These were the two large pivotal, uh, phase 3 pivotal trials. And if you look at the different arms, group 1 and 2 and 3, there's like over 600 patients in each arm. So there's a lot of people. We're going to look at pool data because it's pretty much identical um, as far as inclusion, exclusion, what they were looking at up to week 28, okay? So basically what happened was... Um, Patients were allowed in if they were greater than 18 years of age. They had plaque psoriasis for greater than six months. And I think that's helpful because remember, this, um, you know, there's a lot of other psoriasis uh, out there that, you know, gut hate. You know, they get maybe one or two flares in a lifetime. So, you know, this is a maintenance drug. So once you put somebody on a biologic, regardless of the biologic, your idea in your head should be this is something kind of like diabetes, kind of like high blood pressure, and they're going to need some therapy for life. And this is a therapy for life with maintenance dosing. And they're a candidate for phototherapy or systemic therapy. Their baseline POSSE score was greater than 12. So POSSE is a psoriasis area severity index. And so um, pretty much every drug trial you see, the POSSE is going to be greater than or equal to 12. And their body surface area is greater than or equal to 10%. There's a, a long list of exclusion criteria, which are pretty much the same for every drug trial. You have to have appropriate washouts, for traditional agents, biologic therapies, you don't allow people in with a known history of a malignancy, except maybe some skin cancers, which is listed there. The very cool thing about this um, study, and I'm going to show you this, is that people with newly diagnosed latent tuberculosis were allowed in the trial, no waiting, and you treated their latent tuberculosis and started them on um, their therapy for their psoriasis, too, and I'll show you that. Okay. So um, what did our demographics look like? It's listed here. Okay, so the majority of people are going to be men because if you, should, you should see how these trials work if you're a girl. Holy cow, you have to be a nun. Okay, so their age is, you know, mid, middle age, 45. Weight is 92 kilos. They've had a long history of psoriasis. Um, their body surface area is high there, you know, at 26%. And about a third had psoriatic arthritis, which is pretty much common for... Um, for anybody who walks in the door um, on a clinical trial. Um, and the POSSE scores are listed there. And look at the people who are marked or severe. So, you know, about 40, 42% are marked or severe. And then if you look at that, the patients with latent tuberculosis. So these are people that we screen for the trial. We, we put, put a PPD on. 
their PPD was positive, uh, their chest x-ray was negative, it was a new finding, okay? Um, well, they were allowed to go on the trial. So and they, basically they were, you know, started on their chemo prophylaxis for their latent tuberculosis and they were dosed concomitantly with the drug, okay? So there's not a question of do you wait a month, do you wait six months? Well, we didn't wait anything. We just figured it out and started going. And so, um, and you've got about over 60 patients that were um, treated in that manner. Okay, so what had people done? These people are usually train wrecks that get on our clinical trials. Okay, so they've been treated with everything, all right? And that's basically um, listed here. So vast majority have been treated with topicals, right? We already told you that. Over 57% of people with, with severe disease, it's topicals only. A lot of phototherapy, a lot of systemics, and a lot of biologics. So this really um, shows me, or, or gives me a little bit of um, validation to my thoughts, is that we still need new drugs, okay? So this is a great addition, um, and, and we still need more drugs, okay? So 40%, um, over 40% had been on biologics, and, um, and they needed a different drug. When this drug was approved, we had a waiting list of over 40 <laughs> for people to get on it, because they had done everything, all right? And you're going to see those people in your clinic. Okay. I'm clicking. Okay. Okay, so efficacy. So they came in, they were dosed at week zero, they were, they were dosed at week four. Our primary efficacy endpoint was at week 12, so these people have basically had two doses, and it's listed here. So the lower dose is listed in the, in the light blue, that's the 45 milligram, and the higher dose is that mustard yellow. So if you just look at Phoenix 2 here, um, looking at Posse 50, remember in the old days when Amaviv was out, we actually said, well, Posse 50 correlates with positive impact on quality of life. Well, so everybody's positively impacted, you know, at, at like the 80, high 80% of people are going to be just thrilled. Okay, so Posse 75 is listed here. Posse 90, remember, Posse 90 is almost clear. And, you know, we do a lot of rheumatology and dermatology studies, and so nobody understands what a Posse 50, 75, or 90 is in the rheumatology world. So basically I tell them a Posse 50 is somebody will come in when they have psoriasis and they've gotten a Posse 50 with short sleeves on and long pants. Posse 75 is they're in short sleeves and shorts, and then 90, they're in their thong, whether you want them there or not, okay? <laughs> so these are phenomenally thrilled people on, on this drug trial. Okay, so physician global assessment of cleared or minimal at week 12 is listed here. So a really, really high-performing drug. So if you look at Phoenix 2, you know, 68% of patients got to a, a PGA of clear or minimal if they were given 45 versus 74 if they were given 90, okay? Now, I want to actually explain the weight issue here, okay? So why does the drug have two different doses? And I'm going to concentrate over on Phoenix 2 here. Um, and so it doesn't, if you're less than 100 kilograms, the drug works great, okay? So, but if you're greater than 100 kilograms and you give a lower dose, you still get efficacy, but only 49% of patients get to a posse 75, compared to if you give the right dose, which is 90, 71% of people get to a posse 75. So this is the rationale, why do you have two doses? Will it work if you give somebody who's, you know, over 220, you know, the 45, yes, but why would you do that? So you want to do, you know, the induction, you know, week zero, four, 12 weeks, you want to do the right dose for the weight, okay? And that, that's a really important point. Okay, adverse events during the placebo control period. So remember, we're really only looking at 12 weeks here, so what are you going to see on, on routine? 
Okay, what have I experienced in the last 12 weeks of my life? Well, um, you know, probably um, you're going to see headaches, okay? You're going to see uh, URIs. It's what you're going to see in clinic every single day, okay? So there was not a safety signal that popped up in the first 12 weeks of the placebo-controlled period, and everything is pretty much balanced throughout, okay? So if you look at serious adverse events, um, infections, uh, cardiovascular events, all those things, it's matched all the way through. Okay, so what happens um, now? Let's say you give people another dose, okay? So what happens after three doses? What is our efficacy out at 28 weeks? And we're really concentrating on groups one and two here. Okay, so the posse 50, 75, and 90 responses at week 28 are listed here. And if you remember back, these numbers are actually better than at week 12. Okay, so what does this mean in clinic? Well, if you're talking to people about Solera, um, the drug, and I'm going to show you some pharmacodynamics of response, the drug works well, it works quickly, but actually the peak effect is somewhere between weeks 20 and 28. Okay, so, um, so we have people that we're like, we're going to evaluate how you're doing after three shots, okay? Um, now, this is no different than, let's say you put somebody on a Tanercept, Adalibumab, Infliximab. You usually give a drug three or four months to see what it's going to do. So this is nothing different. So, um, but I would remember that. And when you, when you counsel patients, I would tell them your peak effect is going to be somewhere after the third dose. Okay, and again, this just gives a little bit more rationale to the weight-based dosing. So if you look at the heavier patients, greater than 100 kilos, if you give them 45 milligrams, they get 54% uh, chance for a posse 75, or 74% chance getting a posse 75 if you give them the 90. So again, again, statistically significant improvement with using the right dose for higher body mass index patients. Okay, so. Now we're going to look at the pharmacodynamics of the response here. So, and this is just listed here. So I've treated um, uh, like over 75 people with this drug. Um, and so you see responses after the first shot when they come in for their second shot. But really, I do see much better um, improvement you know, out at like 28, which is where we're talking about after the third dose. Okay. Okay, so remember Raptiva? Remember cyclosporin? <laughs> okay, so what happens when you take a drug away? Okay, so there's some drugs that you need maintenance dosing. Like, you don't just stop cyclosporin. People would tell you don't just stop methotrexate either. And certainly in the old days, we certainly didn't stop Raptiva. Okay, so all drugs going to market need a randomized withdrawal period to say, okay, what happens when somebody comes off the drug? Why would they do this? Well, they do it all the time, and you just want to know what, ha what, what happens. So. Um, the purple is the line, if you look at patients who were previously on 45 milligrams, and let's say they got to a posse 75 at week 20 and week 40, they were randomized either to get placebo shots to see how do they do, or continued on their dosing with 45, okay? So, and you can see that, you know, if you're on placebo, predictably your disease is going to come back. You have great, uh, great sustainability to maintain their posse 75 responses with, with um, time on drug. So, what do I learn from this? I learned that um, with people being non-compliant, and that seems like a lot of my patients, um, that if they miss a shot, nothing's going to happen. I don't believe you should take away from this that this is an intermittent therapy because look at how good these people are still doing at week 76. What I really want you to take home is that 
if it has to be suspended, let's say there's a surgery unexpectedly, let's say um, they're going out of town and they miss a dose, nothing bad's gonna happen. So that phone call, nothing bad's gonna happen, I need you to get back on dosing on time as fast as you can though, okay? Because you don't like intermittent dosing with biologics because predictably, um, some people are not gonna do well with that. And my, what I mean by that is these drugs aren't in us and so we need to get a nice serum trough concentration of them in our body at all times and they should um, maintain their effect better that way. Okay, adverse events during the randomized withdrawal. No new safety signals happened um, during the randomized withdrawal period, and I just have that kind of listed here. I'm gonna let you look at that for a minute. So again, most common things, URI, nasopharyngitis, um, headache. <laughs> they need a Coke Zero. <laughs> All right, so um, clinical safety, safety summary is listed here. I am going to go over um, this case of reversible posterior leukoencephalopathy syndrome. Try saying that five times fast. I have a whole slide dedicated to that in a minute, okay? Um, what's really important, no cases of active tuberculosis um, uh, were seen. So the people with latent tuberculosis were um, treated for their latent tuberculosis concomitantly with their psoriasis with Stelara. There were no cases of um, active tuberculosis. Um, and then the rates of injection site reactions were low. Um, the injection, um, the injections um, have not been a big deal in my clinic. In fact, they're less painful um, than some of the other agents on the market. Okay, all right, this is where the 20 comes in, all right? We got some cases, uh-huh. So girls, do not disappoint me, all right? Ted. How they come up with Ted, I don't know. The, two, the, the three cases were Ted, Carly, and Tom, and I couldn't deal with two Ts, so I, I just picked two. Okay, so this is Ted, an example of Ted. He's got a posse 16.1. Um, he's 44 years old. He's 6'1". He weighs 191 pounds. Uh, he's got a four-year history of plaque psoriasis. He's got 10% body surface in, area of involvement, and he's a driver. Um, and he's got frequent sick days from work when plaques are uh, very visible. Uh, you know, facial involvement is, is a little bit problematic. Genital involvement, a little bit problematic because you don't have a lot of good stuff for those areas. Hand involvement is dismal. And I, I just think that you guys um, should, you know, remember the last time you had poison ivy on your hand and you tried to go to give somebody your ATM card or your credit card or get your nails done. It's a nightmare. And um, these people have to live with it day and day. And unlike all the other things that you blast with prednisone, this always comes back, okay, in my hands if you use something like prednisone. Okay, so what has he done? He's done topicals, he's done an oral systemic, um, the topical mild improvement, um, continuous oral systemic therapy provided improvement, um, but he complains about his symptoms. What symptoms do you think this guy has, just from what you know? Like, think about clinic. Nobody's gonna get money. Itchy, I hear all the girls, no boys, okay. Itchy, yeah, who knew about that, right? I mean, I thought eczema itched, right? No, psoriasis really itches. So remember, if you have somebody who's itching and you don't control their itching, drugs aren't gonna clear them, all right? You can put them on big drugs and you've got to address the itching, all right? I love Neurontin at night, like 100 to 300 at night. Um, so anyway, address the itching. And you know, they just kebnerize and they descale. And so you have to spend a little bit of time talking to them about how they take care of their skin. And you will hear things like, I descale and then I put my cream on. Well, don't descale because that's actually gonna drive your disease. And so he comes in and not really well controlled and he inquires about his treatment options. 
So, if you were Ted's dermatologist, what would your next step be? Stellara, you get $20, Christine. <laughs> okay, okay, well, okay, so what, what I try to do is, um, you know, he's on a systemic, I wanna know what systemic he's on, right? I mean, so um, I um, believe that if you are on a biologic at the time you come in and you're not doing well, I would like you to maximize that biologic before you abandon it, all right? So let's say he is on a TNF antagonist, okay? Well, how do you maximize a TNF antagonist in general? You add, add methotrexate. So, so, you know, so again, remember always, the answer when somebody comes into your clinic is not abandon what they're doing, figure out why it's not working, okay? So, you know, he's 191 pounds, okay? I don't use um, a lot of the self-injectable TNFs um, for people over 225, 250, 200, something like that. So he's in my category of, I might need weight-based dosing for this guy because he's a little bit heavier. So, but again, let's say he's on a TNF. I, I would try to maximize it before you totally got rid of it, okay? And so my, my favorite thing to maximize is add a little bit of methotrexate. And um, remember, he's 44. 44-year-olds do have sex, so you have to have that conversation. Okay, so uh, what factors could prompt you to consider starting a biologic in Ted's case? So I guess he wasn't on a biologic. Um, so, you know, um, I always look at, in my clinic, I would rather be on a biologic than a traditional agent, um, and the reason is is because I know that I'm gonna have to be on therapy for a really long time, all right? So as a girl, I'm not gonna go on seriatine. Um, as a girl, I'm probably not gonna go on methotrexate if I'm you know, a woman of childbearing potential because I'm nervous about you know, birth defects and things like that. Um, and so I think a biologic is actually a really good idea for, for a lot of patients. Um, in our clinic, um, we use more biologics than traditional agents. So, um, so what, are there any reasons you would not prescribe a biologic in Ted's case? <sighs> TB, that's a great thing. She's, she's totally getting a bunch of money right now. Okay, so, so again, so all the other drugs on the market, okay, um, you know, well, including this, you don't want to use it if they've active tuberculosis, but, but, you know, the TNFs in general, so remember, what are you going to do with your person with MS? What are you going to do with your person with, um, uh, uh, you know, congestive heart failure? The causality with congestive heart failure really isn't there, but it's going to make you nervous, okay, because it's, you know, it's something that we all talk about. Um, so, you know, this, this drug, I right now have two people with MS on this drug, okay? It's been an MS trial, so I think that's really valid. So you look at comorbidities. Um, so, but I would not hesitate to prescribe Solera to somebody who had comorbidities of congestive heart failure or MS, okay? I've done it. So, anyway, okay. What is the other reason? What if they're just non-compliant? I mean, you know what? I mean, if people are non-compliant, do not start a biologic. Make sure they're going to stick with you. It does not help to do two doses of Stelara and have them come back in eight months saying, oh, it really worked well and I want more now. So you have to have a conversation with them. Do you buy into this as being a chronic systemic inflammatory disease that you're gonna have for a really long time and you wanna do something with it, with it inter intervene and change your life? And if they're not there, then don't use it, okay? Because I mean, there's, this guy's 44, he's got more years with psoriasis, okay? So he's only had four with it so far, but we need to make sure he's on board with the, you're gonna have to come in every three months, okay? You're gonna have to, you know, get some lab monitoring. And so, and there are people that don't accept that and they, they, they don't get biologics in my clinic, so. Okay, so is Ted an appropriate candidate for Solera? I would say yes, okay. All right, 
So this just kind of outlines how he does. He's received three doses of Stelera at week 16, and he's on the 45 milligram dose, and his improvement has uh, been greater than 75. It's cleared to minimal by PGA. He has had a URI. That doesn't scare me. It always is amazing to me what has happened in between week 0 and 16 that nobody ever tells you about. <laughs> so the URI, that happens all the time. Week 28, um, he's received four doses. He's done great. Week 76, um, he's received eight doses, so eight shots in 76 weeks, and his skin improvements are maintained. So. Um, I have um, uh, people that have been, I guess they've had their fifth shot now, and, and I have seen things like this. Okay, so and this is kind of what he looks like. Kind of hard to see. Um, so, but there's his posse at baseline, week 12 and week 52. All right. Okay, Carly. So does anybody have a kid who watches iCarly? Oh, yeah. You are so in the making for that $20. Yeah. So anyway, this does not look like iCarly. Um, she's 34, she's 5'8", she weighs 195 pounds. Um, she has a 20-year history of psoriasis. Can you imagine having psoriasis since the age of 14? That's terrible. You know, we've got a collection of kids in our, in our clinic, and um, everybody worries about safety. And I will tell you, any mom in my clinic with their kids with psoriasis, and we, we've got a collection, they don't ask me about safety once. They say, fix my kid. And it's really weird. I mean, because I'm always like trying to, you know, explain everything, fair balance. And they're like, I want you to fix my kid. She can't go play. She can't go in the pool. She can't get her hair cut. They won't let him wrestle. I mean, it just goes on and on. So 14 years old, to have psoriasis, dismal. Okay. 30% body surface area, including trunk, limbs, hands, and feet, a jewelry designer, frequent travel for work, um, and the appearance of the hands is important to occupation. And, and really, I, I've seen that time and time again. I have a lower threshold putting people on systemic therapy for their hands, okay, and their face, and their genitals, okay. All right, so various topicals currently on a biologic, um, and it showed some improvement, um, and now she presents with a flare and inquires about other treatment options. Okay, so again, my first step always is to maximize her therapy, okay? So we already kind of beat that in. So, um, so do you consider Carly to be an appropriate candidate for Stelera? Hmm. Yes, that's a great thing. So why is she flaring? Very good point. Okay, what has happened to her? Strep throat. Um, has she started a new medicine? I mean, is she, you know, bipolar and is now on lithium and that might do it? Does she been then on a beta blocker? Um, so um, what are the things flares? <laughs> Those are the big ones, right? Depakote. I mean, so, so that's a really good point. So why now? Okay. Um, so the most common reason people are flaring in my clinic is because they came off their medicine, by the way. Do you find that? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, about three weeks ago, I had a kid, and she was, I think, uh, in high school, whatever, whatever age that is. And um, she was started on a biologic, and my treatment of choice for a kid is going to be a Tannercep, which is off-label, but they have more kid data than anybody. And um, she got crystal clear. I saw her last July, and she came and saw me three weeks ago. And I was like, what happened? And she goes, oh, it cleared me. I go, OK. And, um, and so have you gotten the drug illegally, or did you hate me, or what's the deal? No, I just wanted to see what would happen. OK, that's great. You know, so now I have to deal with the kid who wants to see what happens. So anyway, um, so the most common reason people flare in my clinic is because they did not do what I said, OK? Um, or they had a URI. Those are the two big things, OK? 
So, um, do you consider Carly to be an appropriate candidate for Stellara? Why not? We're at a Stellara conversation. Um, I would say so, right? So, um, contraindications. She didn't tell me about any active infections. She's not coughing up her lung. Um, she seems pretty reasonable. Um, so, okay, so if you were to start Carly on Stellara, how would you manage her transition? Now, we're staying on label here, okay? So, I'm going to go through the slides, okay? So, Remember that the people that came into the clinical trial, the majority of them had been on other things, all right? And in the clinical trial, we had definite washouts for drugs, okay? So, um, and they're actually listed in your book, and this is actually how the clinical trial was done. Okay, so the exclusion, remember they had to be off biologics for three months or investigable agents for three months and conventional systemics, so they had to be off within um, four weeks, okay? So there are washouts that were in the clinical trials for this. Okay, and this is actually how Carly looked. She was started on Stellara, um, and then by the three-month visit, she was greater than 75% improved, and skin improvements were maintained at a year. All right, now we're going to go over package insert. And I, I do think that that girl gets the $20, even though I love you. Yeah. Girl, you do. You rock. You'll see me in a minute. Okay, fine. Let's do the PI. Okay, so it's important whenever you see um, patients that you tell them that all biologics may increase your risk of infections and malignancies, okay? And that's really just how it is, all right? And um, here we have listed the things that they've seen on uh, the drug during the clinical trials. Um, this is nothing new or different than any other biologic package insert you've seen to date, okay? Um, so remember that you should not give it uh, to a patient who has a clinically meaningful infection. What does that mean to me? Fever on antibiotics. I don't like it if somebody is getting shingles, like, oh, what's this blistery stuff on my trunk? Well, I'm probably not going to give it then. Um, so uh, I also like phone calls um, for people when they get sick. So I am pretty much the um, stopgap for, for on call. Like, I'm always on call. I can't remember the last time a psoriasis patient called me. We have over 1,200 people, okay? So, so this isn't a common thing, but you do need to tell them that you want a phone call. My biggest problem with all the biologics is MRSA infections, okay? And that's because it's my biggest problem in clinic in general, okay? I can't tell you the drugs are causing it, but I do think that um, we need to tell them about staph infections, okay? Patients with psoriasis do not have an increased risk of staph infections in general. So remember bleach baths, okay. All right. Okay, so theoretical risk for vulnerability to a particular infection. So there are individuals out there, albeit super duper rare, that are genetically deficient in IL-12 and 23, and they're um, vulnerable to the things listed here, Mycobacterium, Salmonella, and BCG vaccinations. Um, and so serious infections and fatal outcomes have been reported in such patients. They were not on the clinical trial, okay? And it's not known whether patients treated with Stelara um, will have be susceptible to these types of infections. What do I say about this? Well, remember, this drug does not deplete IL-12 and 23. It modulates it, okay? And um, patients with psoriasis have an increase of, of IL-23 in their blood and in their lesions and things like that. So um, I think we're just modulating, but, we, but I do think it's important when a person comes in, ask them, have you had any funky infections? And I will tell you, in the long time ago when Amaviv came out, um, 
I asked a guy that, and he goes, oh, I had some diarrhea. And I go, oh, really, some diarrhea? Well, yeah, joined the whole rest of the United States. And ends up he had cryptosporidium diarrhea, and he had an acquired immunoglobulin deficiency. And I had dosed him with Amavib, <laughs> and his T cell counts went down to like 24 for about nine months. And so, you, you know, just ask, have you had anything weird? Anything a doctor's ever said, this is kind of strange, I'm going to work this up. There is no commercially easily available study for that, IL-12-23 deficiency, and there's not a reason to do it at baseline. Okay, you got to check PPDs. That's with every single biologic. So what's going to happen in October when the drug's been out a year? You're going to check a PPD yearly. Okay, that's not on the slide, but all people on chronic immune modulators, immunosuppressants, need PPDs yearly. Malignancies. So, Stelara is an immunosuppressant. It may increase the risk of malignancy. There have been uh, malignancies reported in the patients that receive Stelara in clinical trials. If you look at the numbers and types of malignancies, they are within what you would expect, and they do not increase with time. Okay? You're not supposed to give it to people with a history of a malignancy. So what do you do with your lady who has a breast cancer and she's in remission and let's say it's been five years? Well, you're going to call the oncologist and you're probably going to do light or acetretin because it's a, a, an anti-cancer drug. Okay, here we go. The reversible posterior leukoencephalopathy syndrome. Who ever heard of this? Not me. Um, so I've never heard of this. It ends up that this is something, remember the first word is reversible. It is not an infection. It's not a demyelinating disease. It is not related um, to JC virus whatsoever. But it's a clinical constellation of symptoms which include headache visual changes. They might have seizures. It is usually associated with high blood pressure, renal disease. It's been seen with pregnancy. It's been seen with multiple chemotherapeutics including rituximab, vincristine, ERA-C, it's been associated with um, some TNF antagonists, um, including infliximab, including um, a tannercept, um, and so cyclosporine, methotrexate, dexamethasone, it's been associated with everything. One case in this clinical trial, this lady had been on it for two and a half years. I think she had had like 12 doses or something. Her last dose was six weeks before she presented to the emergency with headache, vision changes, she did have a seizure. Um, they checked her steady state levels of the drug, and it was within the normal limits before and after. Causality, unknown, don't even know why you get it. Um, these, the RPLS can be fatal, so there have been fatal instances of this. So what do you do? You, you remove the offending agent, you control blood pressure, you control seizures, um, and there's been one case, and I think that there's been an exposure of over 8,000 um, people uh, treated. So anyway something to know about. I check blood pressures. Um, I, I, it's also been seen in people that have had um, alcohol, like some alcohol. So I ask people, how much do you drink? And what is your uh, blood pressure? OK, I don't ask them. I take their blood pressure. OK, immunization. So you want to make sure everybody's immunized up before they start on any biologic, including this one. So you don't want to give live vaccines, OK, because you know this is an immunosuppressant. And then there is a question, well, do the vaccines that you give, the dead ones, actually work? So let's say you gave flu. How do you know they get appropriate titers? And there's some studies ongoing to, that will look at that and will address that um, in the future. OK, so concomitant therapies. For psoriasis, this is a monotherapy-only drug, okay? They have had other disease states where they have used it in combination, including um, psoriatic arthritis trials. 
Um, but for your disease, um, you're supposed to use monotherapy only. Um, there is a potentially um, theoretical concern for UV-induced skin cancers. So little mice um, that had um, deficiencies in IL-12 and 23 um, uh, developed uh, an increased incidence of uh, skin cancers. So we don't know how that applies. And again, we're not deficient. Um, we're modulating it down. Common adverse reactions. We beat this down. Nasopharyngitis, URI, headache, fatigue. Okay, summary, summary here. You have an agent, it's the first agent that targets IL-12 and actually more importantly IL-23, which is from these things called Th17 cells, and that is, that is the new thing, the Th17 cells. Um, and it has a high efficacy rating. Um, remember, do it the right way, do induction at week zero, four, and every 12 weeks, do the right dose for the patient's weight, 45 if they're under 100 kilos or under 220, 90 if they're above. Um, interestingly enough, we see people that um, have lost weight on this agent, so that's been kind of interesting. We actually have to do their weight, and we've actually had to go down on their dose. Um, and so, and then as far as the um, efficacy rating, 70% of patients uh, achieved it, POSSE 75 at week 12 in the Phoenix trials. And in Phoenix 1, 84% of POSSE 75 responders at week 28 and 40 who were re-randomized to SLARE maintained the response at week 76. So once they're on the drug and they're responding to the drug, you would expect them to continue the response. I really do enjoy this drug for my patients who are um, borderline non-compliant, even though I told you never to put a, a non-compliant person on biologics, because I can see them and I can make sure they're on their therapy, okay? So, um, and that's really important to me. Okay, so now uh, we have a question and answer session. So, and there's microphones, and you have to do the evaluations, otherwise I'll get hooked. Oh my, questions. Um. Use in reproductive age women. Okay, so the question is the use in reproductive age women. This is pregnancy category B. Um, to my knowledge, I have no data on pregnancy <clears throat> data in humans. So, but it's just like all the other biologics as far as pregnancy category B. Yes. Is there any data that shows the efficacy of Stellara in patients who have only palmar plantar pustular psoriasis? Okay, so the question is, is there any data that shows efficacy or what, what, how it actually works in palmar plantar pustular psoriasis? And there is none. Um, I have some that I'm going to put in a poster for you. Um, and so uh, I never know what to do with that, all right? So, um, but we have seen efficacy. And those people remember, if they've got pustular psoriasis involving their hands or feet, if they don't stop smoking, it's not going to clear up, all right? So I've, I've not seen one great case despite everything I have in my hands. Um, so um, smoking cessation is really important to people. My husband's a shrink. He's an addiction specialist. I actually write more Chantix than he does. So, um, you know, yeah, kind of interesting. Okay, yes. Um, is Stellara your first-line biologic agent? Okay, so the question is, is Stellara my first-line biologic agent? Um, it might be, um, but it's, um, I actually have to tell you that throughout all this thing, this is a drug that is for plaque psoriasis. It is not my first-line therapy with anybody with psoriatic arthritis unless they have a comorbid disease state which precludes them from getting a TNF antagonist like the MS. So I've got two people with MS that have psoriatic arthritis and plaque psoriasis. If you have psoriatic arthritis, your first-line choice should be a TNF antagonist. Even though they have some efficacy, I just don't think you should use it first-line in psoriatic arthritis. Oh my goodness, question cards, I'm fancy. Okay, let me get them first, because they're like standing up, sorry. 
Um, since you've commented on um, psoriatic arthritis, are you, a lot of your patients would have the psoriatic arthritis component. Are you seeing any improvement of their joints? Okay, so the question is, what's happening in my patients with psoriatic arthritis? So about a third of our patients you know, with psoriasis have some arthritis, whether we know it or not. Um, I have seen improvement in some people. I've had one person out of those you know, uh, pa patients I told you about that was on actually a TNF antagonist with methotrexate, like 20 a week of methotrexate. We don't mess around in Dallas. And his skin, he was just covered with psoriasis, but his joints were very quiet. And I switched him over to um, Stelara, and um, his joints got worse. So again, there isn't enough data for me to say, you know what, use this first line on everybody. Um, I think if you've got somebody with known arthritis, painful joints, swollen joints, I mean, you can kind of think about this in your head, dactylitis, enthesitis, you should not do this drug first line for them. I would pick the drugs that you knew help the arthritis, because the arthritis is very debilitating and it's very destructive in those patients. Can it help? Yes, it can, but it's not my first choice. Okay, second question. Uh, if a patient misses a dose and more than six weeks out, mm -hmm. do you start over? That's a really good question. Nobody's asked me that. So the question is, do you repeat induction um, after the patient's been off longer than six weeks? I have not had that happen in my clinic. Um, and so um, I, I, should I tell you off-label what I would do? Yeah. Yeah, I would do that. Um, so, so, but there's no data, and I think I'm going to get arrested. Yeah, that's what we'd do if they were on, you know, other things. Yeah. Uh, I was just questioning, uh, it was at Winter Clinical Derm in uh, Hawaii, and Dr. Lebel had commented that the other IL-1223 uh -huh. drug has some serious adverse event safety data, mm -hmm. question cardiac events, mm -hmm. and part of my reason for being a little bit hesitant in using it is worrying about the SAEs, mm -hmm. even though there's none, you know, in any of the clinical data for Stellara so far. Do you have any comments on that? Okay, so I think it's really important um, uh, to know that um, there is another drug on the market uh, that is in clinical trials that has had an increased incidence of cardiovascular events. I think we have to be uh, vigilant, okay? It's a different drug, different affinities, different dosing. I think that um, for me personally, oh my gosh, um, that I, I always ask people about cardiovascular history in, in families. You know, patients with psoriasis have an increased risk of cardiovascular events, especially the ones with um, younger onset significant disease. All my patients with younger onset significant disease have been on aspirin, whether, whether they're on anything, you know, I mean, as far as anything. So um, I think that's a very good point, but I have no data that supports that in this. So, I, and I think we should be wary of that because if things start happening, we need to know about it. So, but to date, I have not heard of anything. Yeah, okay, oh my gosh, another line, okay. Yes, uh, the, uh, the two-year evaluation window makes me a little nervous mm -hmm. for malignancy risk. Mm -hmm. uh, what other animal studies has Sinecor done or planning to do okay. to address that issue other than the interleukin deficient mice? Okay, so I'm going to um, advise you to sue. Um, is, are you the right person um, for that? Because um, I have no idea. I will tell you that, so this is an on-label talk. Um, they do have data out past three years. It's just that we had to stay on-label. And she can actually tell you everything a lot better than I can. I think that that's something that is a valid point. Yeah. 
Other than the annual PPD, are there any other labs that you routinely monitor with this or the uh, TNF antagonists? Okay, so with the Phoenix 1 and 2 trials, they saw no trends as far as problems with CBCs, LFTs, renal function, anything. Um, what I do is I see everybody every three months, regardless of the agent they're on, and I do a CBC and a CMP because things happen, and, um, and, I, and I think that it's just vigilant to do so. so. Some people call me paranoid. Um, I do PPDs yearly for everybody. Before anybody goes on a biologic, I'm usually checking hepatitis because I have been so surprised. Um, and uh, it's been kind of stunning, actually. Uh, and I, I want to know about hepatitis. If they have no new sexual um, partners in a year, I won't recheck hepatitis panels, you know. So, yeah. Hey, I'm, I have about, probably about at least 10 patients on Stellar at this point. And I have a question, though. I have had about two patients, and they're over 200 pounds, and when they've come back for their, it would be their third injection, so their three months, so they did their baseline, mm -hmm. their four week, and then their three months, that they felt like they were breaking out a little bit more mm -hmm. before, like they almost felt like, well, can I get the shot at two months? Right. One of them actually asked me that, and I'm right. like, no. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know in your experience, especially since you have so many mm -hmm. patients on Star, have you seen mm -hmm. some of that happen, and how have you dealt with that? Okay, so we have seen that happen. We have three people that's happening to right now. Um, one of them I think is gonna be deemed a non-responder, and he's actually on some combination uh, that's illegal to do. <laughs> okay, um, and the other two, um, you know, there is data from um, one of the Phoenix trials, I think it was Phoenix 2, where they decreased the interval, and so I would like you to talk with the company and okay. try to get that paper and write a letter, and we've done that for two people last week. Okay. And so I do think that there's going to be a subset. It's not 100%. And I do think there's going to be a subset that need a little bit higher dose. And um, if they give you those um, papers, you can see that the percentage of that happening is very low. But when it happens, you would like to maximize a drug. And if they'll let you decrease the interval, that'd be great. So if they're a light person, giving decreasing the interval with the 45 milligram is not as valid as if they're a heavier person already on 90 you decrease the interval and right. they do much better and these patients are so, 90. perfect so yeah. so i would decrease the interval if they let you okay yeah. perfect Thank are you, you the 20 dollar person yes i am she rocks <laughs> okay a uh, quick question not specifically to solara but some of the biologics in general in modern medicine with insurance adventures and all that as mm -hmm. far as prior offs, have you found the magic semantical combination of words that make the magic wand come down? Um, Daisy, Kedra, Melody, Brooke, fix it! <laughs> no, um, actually, uh, I don't get involved in that, but you know what I do? Um, I have not been rejected once, all right? I've actually used it frontline, and I have not gotten rejected yet. Um, don't tell anybody. Um, so I think it's always important to talk to the rep in your area because there are some form letters that I know, maybe it's actually the specialty pharmacies that have these form letters. Um, and so you basically plug in their name and I actually plug in what they can't do. It's really impressive to tell somebody that somebody cannot write or stand without pain or they wake up in the middle of the night itching with bloody sheets. That's kind of a good visual, you know what I mean? That everybody's like, holy cow, it's not just a rash. So um, I would put down, whenever you're seeing people, where's your disease, how does it bother you, what are you not able to do, um, and, you know, and I think also, like, how much time are you spending on this, you know? I mean, you know, so how many visits are you having? How, much, how many hours uh, a day are you spending with your psoriasis? How many hours a week are you spending with your psoriasis? And so, um, you know, all that insurance stuff is a beating, and I don't know what to do with it. So, but they have got people, they got people that can help you with that. Yeah, 
especially pharmacy people do for sure. Yeah. Yes. And uh, typically in your practice, how long do you wait um, between stopping a different biologic and starting Stellara? Okay. There's an off-label question for you. So how long do I wait between stopping a biologic therapy and starting Stellara? I'm going to tell you that I'm going to talk to you later so I don't get arrested. Okay. Okay. Vimal, am I going to get arrested? Okay. So know that this is off-label, okay? So in the clinical trials, they waited three months. Okay. So we basically, if they are a you know, a Tanercept, Infliximab, um, Humira failure, they're dosed, and then the week they get approved, they're on it. So we maintain dosing up until the week before. Um, and we maintain dosing with traditional systemic agents, concomitantly, overlapping. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I need to, <laughs> you promise? Yeah, okay. All right, so do you always do a PPD? Do you ever use a quantifier in gold? This was a great question. Okay, so um, first of all, the quantifier in gold assay is um, something that has not been 100% validated by the CDC as far as, um, you know, what do we do with it? Quantifier in gold is a blood test. It's an ELISA that detects interferon gamma um, elaboration from T cells that recognize specific mycobacterium tuberculosis antigens as foreign. So let's say somebody has had a BCG, you do a quantifier gold, um, it's not going to be positive, okay? So it, it's really for M tuberculosis. So um, I will do a PPD, and I'm telling you, I'm really smart, and I have some PPDs I cannot interpret, you know? It's just, it's not as easy as it looks. My best friend's an infectious disease treater. She actually walks over and tells me what to do. So, um, and so the deal is, if there is any doubt, you just treat, okay? You treat them once, um, and, and, and that's what we've had to do. So we do not rely on, if somebody has a positive PPD and a negative quantifier on gold, infectious disease in Dallas does not say, oh, it's just a false positive. They actually treat it. And, and the, the whole purpose of the quantifier on gold was trying to get a test so that people wouldn't get recurrent PPDs and wouldn't be treated with INH because INH really messes up people's livers sometimes. So, all right, that was that question. Okay, uh, if you had a person with five, greater than 5% body surface area affected with poxoriasis, would you still use methotrexate cyclosporine prior to starting a biologic, especially since insurance may require prior treatments? Thanks. Okay, so um, you know what I do? I actually sit down with patients and I give them all their options. Okay, so we talk about methotrexate cyclosporine, acetretin as long as they're not a girl, phototherapy, and then every biologic, including Amavib, because I actually have some people on Amavib still, you know, and they're actually doing quite well. Um, so, and then we go over the risks and benefits with, with each therapy, all right? So have I used methotrexate? I sure have, okay? And actually the patients chose it. And why do they choose it? It's cheap, okay? Note that all biologic companies have a patient assistance program, all right? So, um, in light of the fact that some areas of the country require prior auths, treatment failures, despite what my package insert says, you're gonna to have to do that in some people. But I would not say you have to be on methotrexate six months before I use the biologic. Because if you think about it, if they have arthritis, which is gonna be 30% of the people probably in your clinic, um, Methotrexate does nothing for psoriatic arthritis. It does not decrease the disease, okay? It might improve their symptoms, but they can have subclinical disease despite no pain. All right, so, um, and then as far as cyclosporin, cyclosporin is for weddings and for summers and for rescues, okay? So, um, so I don't usually, a treatment-naive person, put them on cyclosporin straight out unless there's a thing. And I, I do ask people, what are you getting ready for? You know, because, you know, it's not so fun to see me and, you know, why, why now, all right? Going back to your why are you flaring now person, too. Okay, okay. 
psoriasis patient, 51-year-old, pustular psoriasis. Um, I have a patient that says gastric bypass, so is continuing to lose weight. I've actually gotten gastric bypass approved for uh, people with morbidly obese psoriasis. She's currently 218 pounds, failed in Brella Humira. Now what would you start her on, and do you have uh, a account uh, for weight loss? And how do you account for weight loss? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. All right. Um, okay. So anybody who's over 218 pounds, if, you know what, if they failed Enbrel and Humira, I am not inclined to do a third TNF, by the way, because I think that your rate of return is lower each TNF you use. Um, in somebody who was that heavy, and it sounds like she was heavier than 218, um, I would have probably used either Humira or Infliximab out the door because I think they work better at the higher body mass index patients. Um, so I would not be opposed to putting her on Stellara, um, you know, 218, right below the limit. Okay, I don't know what to do with that. Um, now, um, the other thing is, remember we talked about maximizing therapy, a little bit of methotrexate, okay, with that person. And if they can't do it because they're gastric bypass, they can do sub-Q methotrexate weekly, all right? So some of them get upset stomachs with that. So, um, and I can't actually... Uh, read the last part of that, I'm sorry. So weight loss, huge, okay? So we've had people that um, if they just lose weight, they get better. So let's talk about what is your responsibility as a person. If you have psoriasis, you need to make sure you don't smoke, you don't drink a lot, and you're by near your ideal body weight, all right? And, and, I'm, and we're pretty frank about that. We've brought nutritionists in our clinic. Um, my husband's a shrink. He's helped with some addiction stuff. And in the end, if patients don't actually accept um, responsibility for their disease, you're not going to do as well as if they actually played an active role. And that's why we sit down with all their options. We give them all their options. Because you know, at the end of the day, we've already talked about may increase your risk of infection, malignancy. That's like with everything. Okay? Um, I don't want something to happen and you not to have made a fair decision. Okay? So it takes a little bit of time. Does marijuana affect healing of psoriasis? You mentioned smoking. Oh, gosh, I've got this pothead in my clinic, and I'm convinced it does. Um, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer, uh, uh, but that's a really good question. I have a guy um, who, who, like, I get high being in the room with him. And, and um, I, I do think it's better... <laughs> I do think it's better to smoke pot than, than nicotine, though. I do. Not me personally, but for psoriasis people. Because, I mean, I ask people, and they're like, we smoke pot. And I'm like, okay. Um, you know, so some of them have cleared. But, you know, the palmoplantar pustulosis people, you know, I guess have them smoke a joint instead. I don't know. Okay. What is the appropriate baseline and ongoing monitoring? Okay, so we've talked about that. So CBC, CMP, hepatitis serologies, PPD, those are your big things. Positive PPD, get a chest x-ray. If they have a negative chest x-ray, positive PPD, I would treat them with the INH. Um, and I would treat them concurrently with whatever you wanted to do, okay? Um, okay, Q3 month visits. How, how often checking labs? I'm checking labs every three months, I know. Okay, um, haven't found anything yet. Okay, psoriasis, what are baseline labs that should be done? We did that, good. Is this indicated for erythrodermic psoriasis? Okay, so no drug study has been done with erythrodermic psoriasis, because remember when we showed you group one, two, and three, three is a placebo arm, and they would die, um, maybe. And so you have no data with erythrodermic psoriasis, unfortunately. So um, remember that um, that's a really inflammatory disease state. You'll see stuff on that, I'm sure. Why does the dosage need to be administered 
uh, versus patient administered? That's a really good question. Um, that's how the clinical trials were done. Um, certainly in other countries, this might be different. I'm going to have you talk to the company about this, okay? Um, my, my thought is one of the most appealing things to this drug is actually that it is in my office and I get to see them maintain compliance. And you know, there are some people that do like to see you and it's hard to have psoriasis and some of that psychosocial inter interaction you have is actually very important. So I don't mind it being in office. Okay, when do you hold biologic therapy? Okay, uh, okay so biologic therapy is held for um, infections, fevers on antibiotics, okay? And, and so how long do you hold it? Um, you know, like a week, all right? No data on that, by the way, none. The Academy hasn't a consensus statement, actually, which is probably more important. Look up on the JAD. They have a, they've addressed this. So um, if, you, if a patient requires intravenous antibiotics or hospitalization, I would definitely hold it. Every single person in Dallas gets breast augmentation and tummy tucks, okay? And so I do not hold it for that, all right? They don't even tell me about that. And they walk in, I'm like, there's something different about you, and it's not just your skin. Um, and so elective surgeries, I have not held it. There is no data, though, okay? So um, if necessary to give a live vaccine during biologic therapy, would you hold treatment for four weeks uh, before and after vaccine or other? Okay, that is a drug-specific question, and so you're supposed to wait five half-lives. And so, you know, um, certainly um, you want to do any live vaccines before you ever start. So let's say you have somebody and they're 45 and they're worried about shingles. Well, get them their shingles vaccine, have them pay out of pocket before you ever start this therapy, okay? Um, uh, and then as far as dead vaccines, it just might not work as well. We're going to have some data from the company to, to, to actually um, give us more information about that. Okay. When maximizing TNF antagonists, how much methotrexate do you have and how long does it take to justify treatment failure? That's very smart. Okay. So um, nobody knows um, how much methotrexate to add to a TNF antagonist. Some people add 7.5. I actually go on up to 15 or 20. I'll do 15 or 20 overlapping or in combination with the TNF antagonist probably for three months, you know, maybe eight to ten weeks, something like that. Um, and then if they are not doing well, they're not doing well, and we, we bail. Okay? But I usually leave them on methotrexate and find another agent. Okay, how often do you see your slayer patients for follow-up? We see them every three months. Okay, in withdrawal and restart arms of uh, Phoenix 2, were loading doses given again or just quarterly? They were just given quarterly. Okay, they were not reinduced. If I'm wrong about that, will somebody jump up from behind there? So they were just, they just started on their dosing. Okay. All right. Can you believe I got through that whole question? Okay. If I had had four Coke Zeros, we would have done like 10 minutes ago. Okay. Now, what other questions do you guys have? I, I think it's, you're really smart. Obviously, you're using drugs. Yeah. Not pot, but you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is what happened? So we had somebody who um, needed the 90 milligram dosing and they lost so much weight. I mean, you know, and this is, they're out at like five shots. I mean, it's not like this is Adipex. I mean, so, um, so we've actually dropped dosing. We're going to do that. We're going to drop the dosing. So it's for compliance issues. So, um, yeah, no. So what if they don't maintain? Let's say they keep gaining weight, then you go up on the higher dose. So we've actually, I don't know if we've done that, but we would do that. So remember, you want to do the right dose for their weight, okay? Yes? Sorry, wait, 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 what? Yeah. 
Oh. Oh. Okay, so I have a three and a half year old that probably would have stood behind him. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I think about, I don't know. So legally, you know what I do? I say, well, you know, if you're under 220, you get this dose. If you're over 220, you get this dose. How much do you weigh? <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. I am so arrested. That is off-label. I'm never coming back. I just thought I'd just shoot it all out. I already told you to have them smoke pot. I mean, how much worse can it get, actually? So remember, now, what is going to happen to you if you get caught doing that? That is insurance fraud, okay? So, but I mean, has, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. 218, go eat a watermelon. Yeah, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the question of the long half-life, does it bother me? It has not so far. Um, and I do think that, that, you know, you're looking at something, you know, if you look at a Tannercept, it's such a short half-life. So the idea is easy on, easy off. And with this drug, you have a longer half-life. I always look at the effects of the drug. Like, I mean, what have I actually seen? So, I mean, did I see more infections, you know, out at like, you know, three shots or, you know, before or after, you know, dosing. And really, there's not a signal for that. Um, and there wasn't a big signal as far as 45 versus 90. So I think we have a lot of leeway with this. Um, I think if you looked at other disease states with how they were dosing it, there's a very nice safety signal there, too. But I think that's one of the things that people look at, you know, when they're deciding therapies. But I think that if you had somebody that was that volatile, you know, that you were, like, worried about it, let's say you're diabetic with chronic staphyronculosis, well, then maybe you'd be a little bit more worried about them, and they'd been on and off Zyvox. I wouldn't use it in the first place. You know, I probably wouldn't use a lot of stuff in the first place. Yeah, but that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not a bone, so the question is, what if you have somebody who's doing fine and they just need a surgery? If it's not a bony surgery, I'm totally fine with continuing it. Um, you know, and it's funny, how random is that going to be? You have a drug that's dosed every 12 weeks, you know? It's likely not going to be around their surgery anyway, you know? Now, bony surgeries, the only way, reason I say that is that for the TNF antagonists, for people with arthritis, there's some increased risk of infections with bony surgeries. And that's, that's just my gut feeling. There's really no data that supports that, but that's just kind of what I think. So, yeah. Since we're talking about your gut feeling. Oh, God. That's a really important thing, and that's something that we couldn't ever talk about because it's not on a slide. So, so what, it, what am I going to see if I treat psoriasis? Let's say you treat chronic systemic inflammation. Do I think they're going to get better on multiple levels? Okay, like just not even looking at heart attacks. What about psychosocial? Um, psychosocial and cardiovascularly, I think they're going to get better for sure. Um, you know, and as far as, you know, lymphoma rates, I mean, we're going to have to wait and see. Certainly there's no signal out at three years, you know. So, um, so I think that um, the risk of not treating is actually much more important, you know. Um, but it's hard because you're the one who's going to be writing the prescription. You're the one if anything happens. I've had treatment, emergent cancers. I've had people die on the biologics. And I mean, um, and somebody said, well, are you going to ever write that drug again? I'm like, yeah. 
it wasn't on this drug, but I mean, you know, I did, you know, and I'm like, because if you see 1,200 people and you look at what they can and can't do and you're treating them and you're trying to control their disease, then you need to do the right thing 100% of the time. It's their decision. So, oh, it's totally time for me to go. And who is that? Uh, that's my son, Sean. Oh, you've got a great my son. Boy. So, yeah, really great. I'm glad to be here. Um, Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Weigh people, use the weight, right weight, dose. Oh, my God. Okay, all right. There's your 20 for you. 20. That's Risha. Risha, okay. Nice to meet you, Risha. All right, thank you, guys.